Hey guys, what's up? Scott here back with another episode of the SBL podcast. And this week we are on episode number 98. Now, it's something pretty significant is coming along to do with the podcast. I did uh, episodes 1 to 52. I did all the interviews, all the podcasts, obviously. Episodes, uh, yeah, 1 to 52. Then Nick took over and did episodes 50. Three to well, this is the thing. He's doing episode fifty-three, and he's taking it right up until ninety-nine. So you're going to get Nick interviewing um, the awesome John Bird this week, who I'm going to tell you more about in one second. And then he's going to be interviewing somebody else next week that you should definitely have heard about. He's a killing bass player. I'm not going to tell you exactly who he is. You have to wait and find out. Uh, but he, he he's a uh, he's based here in the UK, and uh, I've known him for a while. Just an absolutely phenomenal bass player, ridiculous technique as well. And and then for episode 100, I am taking back over the podcast. And uh, I'm back in the interview hot seat, and we have got some amazing guests lined up, and also some really cool stuff, kind of like to do with the podcast happening that I can't really tell you now, but just just know that it's going to be amazing. And if you are an Academy member, the video that you're going to get from episode 100 moving forward is pretty ridiculously cool. I'll tell you more about it next week. Uh, But anyway, on to this week, we've got the, as I said, we're catching up with bassist John Bird, who's about to head out on a huge tour with Niall Horan of One Direction, which obviously, you know, huge band. Uh, The tour runs from March through to September and visits, check this out, the UK, Germany, Denmark, France, Austria, Switzerland, Italy, Spain, New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, Japan, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, you know, you get the idea, it's ginormous. All of that before sweeping right across North America. So luckily, John has had his fair share of touring experience as well with the likes of Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor, Gabrielle Applin and Jack Savaretti. And in this podcast, you're going to find out how he handles life on the road, including what gear he relies on and why he never, ever misses a lobby call. Ninja ninja touring tricks from the awesome john bird i'm going to hand over to nick and i'll see you after this interview hey guys welcome back to another episode of the sbl podcast today we're catching up with bass player john bird who's coming from us to us from berlin germany hello hey, hello How you doing? you're not from berlin are you i'm not from berlin no i can <laughs> you can t- you can kind just, of tell by the I accent just got a little twang there yeah <laughs> Um, what what are you up to in Berlin? Nothing. No, I'm not up to nothing. Um, just chilling here. Had quite an intense sort of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, toured right up to the end of December. And then just came to Berlin, basically uh, a few songwriting sessions here and just just a little bit of time off. Back at it now. Go back into rehearsals for a tour. I looked week. at the dates. The tour is immense. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's, it's it's pretty big. <laughs> You're going in March, right? Starts in the UK. Yeah, so we have rehearsals at the end of February, right? And then straight in, yeah, from March. It's pretty much straight until the end of September. And you're going to go all the way around Europe, then oh. on to where Australia, Japan, South America, then into the US. Mm. It's ginormous. Yeah. 
pretty intense. A lot of flights, a lot of flights. How do you, how hard is it to settle once you come off a tour like that? Um, yeah, it's tricky enough just because it's very full on, obviously, when you're on tour, not just the traveling, not just the gigging, but you, there's constantly something on and, you know, around you, people around you, there's 20, 30 people just always there. Um, and there's obviously a change of dynamic each day because it's a different country, different stages. Uh, so yeah, to come straight back, especially to Christmas, when I came back to Christmas, it's like complete chill time, loads of family. So it was still more mental. Um, so yeah, it took a little bit of time to get used to coming down again, but, uh, you know, I like, I like the, the two different dynamics. I like chilling now. But yeah, it's, it's tricky enough. Where's home for you right now? Uh, it's in my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> it pretty much is, actually. I'm still doing a few shows uh, back in London, but I'm basing myself here in Berlin. Um, my girlfriend's based out here, so I'm doing some work with her and staying here. Um, but yeah, pretty much I've just been, since the start of last year, just in and out of, you know, I haven't even unpacked my suitcase. I just literally live out of one week's clothes, constantly washing the same thing. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just insane. What, what kind of, um, after you finished a big tour, how long was the tour last year? So we started in May and finished in December. Wow. So do you have any, any, it's another big one, man. It's, it's a good mm. chunk, isn't it? Do you have any, yeah. like, I'm just thinking how sometimes we do it. Like we we just got back from New York with Scott and the crew, and maybe we'll sit down and have a like a kind of once dust has settled. How did that go? Did it go well? Is there anything we'd change for the next tour? Do, mm. you, do you have thoughts like that, or do you guys get together, or is it more like off the cuff? Um. Well, obviously, there's a lot of prep for this sort of because it's such a big tour. There's quite a lot of preparation involved. So, like. Obviously, emails start flowing about next year. Uh, already two weeks ago, I was in touch with the guitar tech, and he was asking me what, like six weeks before we go into rehearsals, he's asking me, you know, what I need, what I'm going to be using, what I need to get for the tour, you know. And, uh, yeah, so there's obviously that sort of prep. And then because we're doing the same album as last year, and it's the same music, the shows are bigger and the shows are sort of longer. So there's, we have to obviously put a lot of effort to rearranging it a little bit, making the show slightly different, making it a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, kind of just looking at what, how it went last year, how the gigs were, and then just making it better, I suppose. It's just like my equipment as well. Gives me a chance, you know, a couple of weeks off, go on uh Amazon and see what new pedals I can change up and annoy the guitar tech with. <laughs> Do you have time to evaluate that kind of stuff while you're actually in the middle of the tour? Mm, yeah, it, for the 15 minutes of sound check. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. No, usually because yeah, because it's quite intense, especially at the end of the at the end of our tour last year, we did like a like these festivals called Christmas, uh, it's like Christmas time ball, Christmas ball festivals. And um, we were literally on the stage for 15 minutes each night because it was just a rotating stage and each different pop act. 
would come on like there's no breaks. And I remember I, I bought a bass when I was away and I really, really wanted to try it in those two weeks of that tour, but there was no time whatsoever. It was just like, get on the stage, no sound check, play, get off the stage, leave the venue. So in terms of sort of working on the sets and working on different things, that was quite tricky and, you know, almost impossible to do. So you just kind of have to be a bit of a robot, just play what you know, and then get over and get it over and done with. Great though. It's, you know, for an adrenaline rush, it's incredible because you just don't see the crowd. And then all of a sudden, there you go. You're performing 15 minutes done out the back door. <laughs> What's been the best or most memorable gig or venue that you've played so far? Uh, definitely gig wise, Tokyo. I'd never, ever been to Japan until last year. And we went to Tokyo and we did a gig. Um, and it was just, the crowd were just incredible. It was like, they are the quietest crowd and the loudest at the same time. So they really respect the music. So they even respect, they really respect Niall. So when he speaks, where in other gigs you have like, the crowds shouting different things. I love you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't do that. They're completely silent when somebody's speaking or when there's a song. So when it was like a slow ballad or something like that, the atmosphere in the room, even though we're on uh, in ears, the atmosphere is just incredible because they're all listening so intently. And then uh, as soon as the song finishes, they're screaming and going crazy. And, you know, be, even before we play the gig, they're just really excited about the music. And they, they did this amazing thing during the set, which ended up happening a few times after, but the Japanese came up with it, where they had lights glowing in the Irish flag. But I don't know how they organized it because it was a standing gig. And they had obviously the green, white and the gold. Mm -hmm all separate when they were standing and we didn't expect it. And it was during one of the ballads. So it was because most of the band Niall, and obviously he's chosen a lot of Irish people in his band. It was quite uh, warming, you know, just to see that. So yeah, for me, that was definitely the best gig. And how big is the team? Um, there's probably about 20, 15 to 20 people on the road. Um, because just obviously the band, there's six of us in the band, including now. And then we've got some techs, front of house, monitor engineer, um, and just like merchandise guys, management. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, about 20. But maybe it's getting bigger. Hopefully, depending on how uh, sales go, maybe more people come on the road. How... Would you describe it in terms of, or how much pressure do you, do you personally feel to kind of pull your weight and make sure that you're not the guy people are waiting around for at the end of a gig and stuff like that? Because you must have, your schedule must be just so alien at times in terms of turning up in a new country and yeah. not knowing what's going on. As long as you make lobby call. As long as you're, okay. you're there, you're there at nine o'clock in the morning or 6 a.m. when there's a flight to go catch. Um, I sort of, there's there's two times I make sure I'm there at lobby call to, to travel 
and I make sure I'm at the venue for sound check at the right time. And then you sort of follow signs on the wall to tell you what to do for the rest of it. <laughs> be here, be there. Um, but actually, it's it's pretty chilled. The team is really, really cool, really, really relaxed. Uh, you know, the management and the band and all the crew. So they make life easy. So we just basically get get to where you're supposed to be on time. And then, you know, it's easy to 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 find your place for the rest of the day. How about musically? Like as a bass player, how tempted are you to kind of mix it up and try new things on the stage well, when you probably shouldn't be? Well, I think there's a different art discipline as well. Um, this was a good challenge for me, um, this album, because there was certain different bass sounds on a lot of the different tracks because Niall sort of mixed a couple of genres in. Um, so what I had to do, because obviously I, I wasn't on the album, I wasn't the bass player on the album, so I was sort of recreating some of the sounds. So I had a lot of fun choosing live pedals um, to use and just recreate the sound. And obviously because it was a big show that was created in terms of like, you know, we had a specific intro that we would come out for and just diff different, different parts of the show that I actually quite enjoyed focusing on the sound that I was making more so than trying to play something new on every gig. Um, yeah, so I quite enjoyed the discipline of it and just focusing on getting the part right. And I take a couple of basses with me on the road. So some of the songs have different sounds and tones that I need. And um, yeah, so for me, obviously in Soundcheck, we get to play out a little bit more. Uh, you get to play something that's not written down. Um, but there is a little bit of freedom. We have some some playouts in some of the songs where we get to jam a little bit. Um but like I said, I, I, I really enjoy the discipline of it and sort of stick into the bass lines on the gigs. Who was on the album? Do you know? Uh, I do, but I can't remember the names. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, uh, I know who was on Slow Hands. This is terrible because I can't remember his name, so I, don't, I hope he doesn't watch it. Well, he's, we'll an Irish, he's, okay. he's an Irish, Irish guy who lives in L.A., We'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's some research you should do before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they asked you, man. What's the, yeah. <laughs> what um, bases are you taking out? Um, I've got a Fender Jazz. It's like a 60, a, yeah, 62 reissue. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like, um, you know, they have, it's got the painted headstock as right. well as the body. Yeah. And it's da it's Daphne blue. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a interesting color. Um, and I have that with round wound strings on it. And I mainly use that for when I'm using, using a pick. So it's quite top endy. Um, and then I've got my P base, which is 76 that I bought out in Nashville a couple of years ago. And I've got some nice round wounds on that. And it's lovely. It's an amazing bass to play. I haven't touched it. I haven't set it up since I, I, I bought it in the shop. Uh, and then I've got a lovely 335 Gibson, mm -hmm. which sounds great, but it is the most difficult bass to play. Why? <laughs> because the body is huge mm -hmm. and, it's and it's top heavy as well. So it's fine when you're sitting down, 
but uh when you're standing and playing it you can it's it's just a different feel to the other bases you have to kind of stretch a little bit further it's heavier on the neck and even your arm your right arm your picking arm is just in a different position um but it looks it looks lovely and sounds lovely it's just a bit bit tricky to play it's funny how different bases can make you play in a different way yeah yeah Oh yeah, I, I've, like I would choose a jazz bass because it's got that little tiny neck any day because it's the easiest right. one to play for me. Um, but obviously, with having the three different bases, it's nice to get to differentiate between tones, you know. And mm-hmm. um, what about amps? What amps are you going into? I've got a big fridge, Ampeg fridge. Big Ampeg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had Mark bass for a while, um, which are great amps, but we were sort of doing, I sort of wanted a bit more of a rootsy sound and just a lot of bottom end as well. And because I'm on the in-ears, not that these are in-ears, but um, I kind of wanted to feel the bass. Mm-hmm. And the best for me was, you know, the 8 by 10 is like right behind my head. Right. So I got a nice, quite old, 2001 uh SVT cab, which is the heaviest thing in yeah. in, the, in the world. Um, yeah, running through um, an eight by ten cabinet, and it's oh, it's amazing. I just I just leave it all all the EQ at twelve o'clock, and it just sounds incredible. No matter what bass you plug into it, it's pretty simple, but heavy, but simple. We should probably also touch on how you got the gig in the first place. Mm. Um, because that's quite interesting in terms of like you mentioned earlier on that like a, a big portion of the, t- the team or the band were involved in music schools yeah and have followed that kind of route through I know you played with Gabrielle Applin you mentioned and mm. last, last time I saw you with Hudson Taylor as well that, yeah that's tell true. us about that kind of evolution and whether it's just been a case of just following your nose or whether there was a bit more of a plan uh there wasn't necessarily a plan. Um, what it was, I was actually playing with an artist called Jack Severetti. That's right, uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, just before. And Do you remember when I bumped into you at Heathrow Airport that time? Oh, that's right, yeah. You were heading over. I think you were going over to do your film. Probably, probably. Was. Yeah. Was, yeah, wow, that would have been three years ago. Is it three years? Must have wow. been. Wow. Wow. Or two. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, so basically Niall met Jerry, my friend, who's a drummer, who's Niall's drummer, uh, on the road because he was playing with James Bay. And uh, he just sort of befriended Jerry. And when it came to the time that he was going to be releasing music and he wanted to have a live show, he got in touch with Jerry and asked him to be his drummer. And would he be able to recommend some guys for the gig? So I got a call to see if I could go to an audition. Uh, and we went down in London to an audition for the day. And there was a few bass players, a few guitarists, a few uh, piano players. And yeah, we all auditioned. And then we got a call back. The second audition was uh, drinking a few pints of Guinness in the pub, <laughs> which is very, very vital to the tour. You can ask any member. <laughs> Um, so what, what was that we, like, man? What was that part of the audition like? I mean, did you feel relaxed enough just to, or did it feel still feel like an audition? No, but it, to us, it, it was like 
Yeah, a part of you is just like, I really, really want this gig. You know, <laughs> you know, I really, I like the artists. Uh, I like the music. I want to, you know, this, this could be great. So, but to be honest, you know, Niall is the most down to earth person. So just hanging around with him, he just, you know, he's no different to anybody else. Mm -hmm. He just, he's just a lad who likes a bit of, you know, a bit of banter and, having a few drinks and playing music. And so we all got on very, very well. The the current band uh, who all went for pints of Guinness that night, <laughs> that was obviously a year ago now. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was pretty relaxing. Like I said, I, I was nervous about whether I'd get the gig or not, but you know, after the, after a few pints, I was definitely relaxed. It's <laughs> <laughs> not ever spoken about. Obviously he was, kind of catapulted into into fame with the whole One Direction thing. Is, is he ever, how does he look back on that time, especially now having gone solo? Does he speak about it much? Yeah, of course. It was, an, uh, you know, it was obviously an incredible experience for him. Um, he got to see the world. Luckily, because of what he achieved with One Direction, you know, um, we've been able to see part of that a little part of that world we met some of the other guys who were in the bands they were all really really nice guys really cool guys um yeah i think he just i think he really embraced it and i think you know he his personality allowed him to enjoy it and yeah he he just seems very very happy that it all happened you know i don't i don't feel any negativity towards it at all and uh like I said, we're just lucky to sort of get a little part of that experience, you know? Sure. He doesn't feel under enormous amounts of pressure. He doesn't let that on anyway. Right, right. <laughs> it must be really interesting, like a big part of what you guys are there for to make him feel comfortable, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose that's the one thing about touring musicians. Like, it's only about 10% of the gig is whether you can play the instruments or not. The rest of it is all to do with being able to hang out with each other, being able to socialize with each other. It's like I spend, you know, like anybody who plays music professionally, they spend an hour, maybe two hours a night playing. And then if you're on tour, you're spending 12 hours a day just hanging around with other people. And that can go on for, you know, our last stint. We were away in America for eight weeks, eight weeks with the same band you know the same five guys um so yeah most most of the time you have to just sort of be good at getting along with other people so it's you know you have to surround yourself with people you like and a band that you like and make it a bit of a family on the road so back to the tour if people want to check out where you're going to be john the best place is niall's website right yeah all the live dates are on there we'll put yeah below guys but it's nilehoran.com yep and the first night is let me just double check ireland yeah homecoming gig what's that gonna be like great we, we started the we started the tour last year in ireland as well it's just like you know the irish they love their own right so so it's it's good fun although it is it's not the best to start with because you kind of you kind of want to go back there again right you know but but you know, it's it's a good. Some of the most tricky gigs are when you perform to your family. You know, 
in right. terms of being nervous on stage. So if you can overcome that one, then the rest of the tour becomes easy, you know? Well, best of luck with it, mate. Um, Thanks a million. Of March, your first night, and it rounds up in September. Is that right? Yeah. End of September. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep us posted, mate. Will do. Okay, guys, that's it for this week's uh, episode of the SPL podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed that. As I said, we've got something amazing coming up on episode 100, and I will be back in the hot seat interviewing um, for the podcast moving forward from episode 100. Um, as, and I said before as well, it's really funny because obviously I did zero to uh, oh, episode 1 to 52. Nick did 53 to 99, and I'm starting off at 100 again. So maybe when we get to 150, Nick will take back over. Who knows? But just know that it's really, really, there's some really great stuff coming up on the podcast. We've got some fantastic guests. And if you're an Academy member, you are in for a serious, treat because some of the video stuff that is going to be coming with these podcasts is going to be next level stuff um, we've really knocked out of the park I'll tell you more about it next week um, but other than that guys if you haven't been over to scottsbassessons.com yet go check that out um, it is super super cool and is well it's essentially the ultimate online learning platform for bass players in the world right now just like yourselves who are trying to get their bass playing to the next level um, oh also I should mention as well well, that um, we're going to be at the London Bass Guitar Show this year. Um, it would be wicked if you come along and hang out. Um, we're there both days. We've actually got our own room, which is in the main room. So if you go to the main kind of like exhibitor hall, we have got our own room in there. I think it holds about 80 to 100 people, although last year at one point there was 250 people in there. But <laughs> uh, well, that was a fun day. Uh, but we've got some amazing guests. We've got some amazing guests coming. Um, I teased it, I think, last week or the week before, but we've definitely got Gary Willis who's going to come down. He's going to be there both days. We're trying to get Rich Brown over from Canada. I think that's definitely going to happen. Um, it might be that Henrik Linder is going to be joining us on the Sunday, and, uh, and we've got another really special guest in the works as well. Um, incredible, funky player, plays a jazz black bass, plays with a pick. Um, what other clues can I give you about this guy? Um, I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with his name. <laughs> his first name could be Bobby. Anyway, um, it actually is Bobby. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to tell you more about it next week. I'm going to uh, leave you hanging. Uh, other than that, guys, uh, take it easy, and I'll see you in the shed.